Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast, Cavalier fans. What a great night in Cavalier land as the Cavs win their 50th game of the season, surpassing their over-under by two and a half games now with two more to play. Clinch the fourth seed. They will have home court advantage against the New York Knicks. And Donovan Mitchell continues his torrid streak of 40-point games, achieving a feat that we have not seen achieved since 2018-2019 by James Harden. And that feat, four consecutive 40-point games. It is time to confront reality. Now, not us, Cavalier fans, because of course, we're not the delusional ones. But it is time for the NBA, all NBA voters, to step back, take a look at the resume that Donovan Mitchell has put forth on paper, and just accept that if they dismissed him, if they downplayed him, if they disrespected him, it is time to make that right. And there is no shame in admitting that you were wrong. If they want to be on the right side of history, the right side of history is a first-team all-NBA vote for Donovan Mitchell and nothing less. Now, I have done plenty of things. I don't like to admit when I'm wrong. Certainly not. Early on, when I was dating my wife, who was then my girlfriend, she is deathly allergic to cats. Now, I owned two cats that I got before I ever met her. Why did she start dating a guy with cats when she's deathly allergic to cats? You might be asking yourself. Well, I did tell her, but she did not believe me because what self-respecting 30-year-old man would not only have one cat, but two cats that can't possibly be serious. That's what she told herself in her mind. So that was her lie that she needed to confront. I don't have any self-respect and I was that guy. That's a hilarious joke to her, apparently. Well, I did. And the thing with these cats is they were more like dogs than cats. I had initially got cats as opposed to dogs because I thought they're lower maintenance. I could go away, have a friend just pop in to feed them. I don't have to board them, spend a bunch of money. But the problem, or not a problem, depending on your viewpoint, I suppose, is that these cats did not have boundaries. They would follow me around endlessly. The moment I sat down, they wanted to sit down. When I would go to sleep. They would lay right by my face. I would wake up. They would be laying on top of my face. If I did not clean my dishes immediately, they would hop into the sink to lick the food right off of it. I had to close the lid to the garbage can or they would jump into the garbage can. I had a friend visit one time who wanted to feed the cats and I told him, don't do it, dude. These cats are voracious. They know no boundaries. If you're holding a treat in your fingers, they'll eat your fingers to get to the treat. That's how little respect they have for personal space. But somehow, in my mind, I rationalize this idea that, well, she's so standoffish towards them that they will eventually just flock to me and ignore her. That did not work out. The fact of the matter is, I had to confront reality. It was my girlfriend, now my wife, or my cat's. Now, it took me a long time to get there. There was multiple nights where I was sleeping blissfully, and I woke up, looked over, and she was wide awake, staring at the ceiling and crying. But I persevered initially. I said, that's a her problem. Go back to sleep, push through it, take a Allegra or whatever the fuck the allergy medicine is. This, I, I can't be bothered. Eventually, though, I had to make a decision. Now, based on the fact that I'm telling you she's now my wife, I think you can guess what happened. Yes. I threw those cats straight into the trash. Now, I don't mean that literally. I mean figuratively. I gave them away. But I'm a monstrous owner who made a lifelong commitment to take care of two cats 
did not even make it four years before I was throwing them away as if they meant nothing to me. Now, that is the red flag that my wife should probably confront somewhere down the line. Why were these cats so easily discardable? Why don't you have a heart, you big, stupid, basketball-loving asshole? But she chose me, so that's her terrible decision to confront. Right now, I'm focused on the all-NBA voter and their terrible rationalizations because before tonight, we've heard so many cases. I've played you the audio on this very podcast. Who's the first team all-NBA guard? Is it Luka Doncic? whose Dallas Mavericks might not even make the play-in, despite having two guys who are all world talents in Luka and Kyrie. Is it Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who statistically is immaculate but plays for a team fighting for the play-in? Is it De'Aaron Fox, who scored a handful more points than Donovan Mitchell when a team is within five with less than five minutes left? Is that what should make him first-team All-NBA guard? Or is it the guy who tonight... Scored over 40 for the fourth straight game, a feat which has not been done since 2019. A feat which has only been done by four men since the turn of the century. Kobe Bryant, who did it several times. In fact, he did it nine times in a row back in 2003. Russell Westbrook, who scored 40 points four times back in 2017 consecutively. And James Harden, a man who did it five times between Christmas of 2018 And the 3rd of January, that fifth game, though, took overtime. Now, we may not see Donovan Mitchell extend this streak because essentially, tonight, we effectively finished off everything we needed to accomplish. We got to 50 wins. We clinched the four seed. We clinched home court. That was the important thing. And now you you have to seriously question whether we want to put anyone at risk knowing that health will be critical against this Knicks team. But the fact remains. Voters who are still rationalizing to themselves that Donovan Mitchell is not first-team All-NBA, that they built their case on a house of lies, and that the only acceptable outcome for first-team All-NBA is one that has Donovan Mitchell in his rightful place, occupying the guard spot. This is the Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. I usually like to pick the team in a series that A, has the best player, Cavs, B, has home court advantage, Cleveland. So I don't want to be a buzzkill for the New York Knicks, but if they play the Cavs in the first round, I think, Cleveland, this is for you. (laughs) And they advance. There he is, Jalen Rose, a man who played for the New York Knicks, saying what everybody should say, which is that let's just look at the evidence accumulated and accept things for as they are. There will be a lot of people in the coming days who are going to predict that the New York Knicks will defeat the Cavs, including people like this gentleman. What these Cavalier boys going to do with us? They're not ready, man. We're not ready, man, because we lost to that team without Jared Allen or Isaac Okoro. Now, here's the thing. Maybe we're not ready. I mean, it is a different team from the one we saw early in the season. Josh Hart has added a hell of a wrinkle. Quentin Grimes is playing great over the past several games. Maybe we're not ready. 
But do I think one game, one outlier game by Jalen Brunson, I would call it an outlier from Donovan Mitchell, but he's done it three other times around it. So maybe that's just the norm now. But do I think that one game is indicative of what we're going to see in the first round? No. God, I hope not. No, I don't believe that. Who else going to put up? Who else? Oh, oh, Jared Allen? Yeah, Jared Allen is. Perhaps you witnessed his exploits tonight in the fourth quarter where Markel Fultz found himself with a clear lane to the rim, or so he thought, only to have Jared Allen, with the Cavaliers holding a narrow four-point lead, stuff the ball hard off of his face, and it caromed out of bounds despite Goga Batadze trying to save it. He failed. Then, the very next time down the court, Jared Allen scored on the other hand. But it didn't end there because back come the magic, down by five now due to Jared Allen's block and then subsequent basket. And who goes to the rim? Franz Wagner. And who fails at the rim due to Jared Allen stuffing him? Franz Wagner. I mean, that was a clear, I guess I didn't need to explain that. The point is, Jared Allen is a difference maker. And we got to see that tonight in the fourth quarter because outside of the exploits of Donovan Mitchell, I found myself screaming Fro's name multiple times in the fourth quarter. And sure, that's not an isolated incident. Fro! But it was warranted and it was with good cause tonight. But Donovan Mitchell is the man who should carry the day here on the Fear the Fro podcast. So let's get into a little of what we witnessed in the fourth quarter because it's a, a perfect microcosm of what we've seen this season. Incredible stretches of basketball where the man just absolutely takes over. And so many of them have happened in the fourth quarter. Look at tonight. It's halfway through the fourth quarter and the Cavaliers are leading by one point with seven and a half minutes left. 199. Markel Fultz banked in a shot and the Cavs are in a game. It's a battle. They may not win this thing. The momentum seems to be on the side of the magic. And what happens from there? Donovan Mitchell bangs down Two three-pointers to blow the game open. The Cavaliers get a six-point lead, which expands to a nine-point lead. And it looks like the game is over, but it's not. And why is that? Because two back-to-back three-pointers from Wendell Carter Jr. leads the Magic on a 10-0 run. They steal back the lead. They find themselves leading the game 109-108 with three minutes and 50 seconds left. Did it end there for Donovan Mitchell? No, because after setting up Karis LeVert for a three-pointer, which sees back the lead from the Magic, Donovan Mitchell scored the next six Cavalier points. He knocked down four consecutive field goals without a miss between seven minutes and 10 seconds and one minute and 20 seconds and put the Cavaliers up by six. Now he missed his final shot. So he was four for six in the final quarter. He missed his first shot. He missed his last shot. But the four he hit in between there took what was a one-point lead by the Cavaliers and blew it open to a nine-point lead. Then the Cavs bungled that. And then after the Magic went on a 10-0 run, he responded again and blew it back open to another six-point lead. And then he sealed it. At the free throw line, the Cavaliers come away with the victory. Now, by the technical definition, only six of Donovan's 12 fourth-quarter points were clutch. But you can't tell me. That that three-pointer with a one-point lead and seven minutes left, I need to just throw it out. I need to remove it from my mind and decide that that doesn't qualify as a clutch bucket. I reject that. And that's the problem, treating advanced analytics like they're black and white indicators of things. Now, none of this is meant to discredit De'Aaron Fox. There are certainly a lot of bullets in the chamber 
if you want to weaponize clutch stats, De'Aaron Fox has scored 50 more points than Donovan Mitchell in clutch situations. But I'm beating this dead horse again and again because I'm begging voters to step back and use more than just raw numbers. There are things which look damning for Donovan Mitchell. I want to acknowledge that Donovan Mitchell's percentages in clutch time are not good. But his volume, he's got the fifth most points in the clutch. He's the only guy in the top 10 of clutch points who has double-digit offensive rebounds. De'Aaron Fox, three offensive rebounds. Do you know how many offensive rebounds in clutch time Donovan Mitchell has pulled in? 11. That's pretty goddamn impressive. There's not another guard who touches that. Jimmy is close. He's only got nine. And expand things. Look at the fourth quarter. Donovan Mitchell, seventh in the NBA in fourth quarter scoring. So he's certainly doing it. And the Cavaliers are winning games. So I think I've taken a step for the agenda tonight, and we can, we can put that to bed. Now, let's talk about what we saw from Donovan Mitchell. Now, should we have needed a late explosion by Donovan Mitchell to beat the Magic? No. But history is history, and it deserves to be put in its proper context. Now, since the invention of the shot clock, there are only five men who have done what Donovan Mitchell did tonight. Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. We're talking about all guys who were MVPs. Donovan Mitchell is the first guy to do it since James Harden did it from Christmas Day 2018 to the 3rd of January. He did it five games in a row. And in those five games, the fifth one required overtime. So do I expect Don to match that? Unlikely. I don't think we have enough to play for here. Kobe Bryant. Rarely do you hear me praising Kobe Bryant just because I'm not a huge Laker fan on here, but he did it on six separate occasions between 2003 and 2012. And many of you will remember in 2003, the first time that he did it, he had nine consecutive games of 40 points. Jordan has done that too, but nobody else has gotten beyond five. So Donovan Mitchell in rarefied air here, stretching his 40 point games to 13 times on the season. Now, remember, we spoke of this just a few podcasts ago. Kyrie Irving only had 11 40-point games with the Cavs in total. So Donovan Mitchell putting forth the best season a Cavalier has put forth since LeBron James. It's not even close. Or even before LeBron James. Now, let's talk about the game tonight because I've I've rallied for Donovan enough. I get it. I'm in that all-NBA mode. I'm in this CBA mode. Here's the other thing. A little tangent here about the CBA and the Removal of positional designations. Now, I have sat back and I've listened to people's reactions on this thing, and it's only made me feel more entrenched in my own, kind of like politics, you know? I hear people who I disagree with, and I just become more belligerent and more of a dick on the other side. As it relates to the positional designations being removed, I'm 100% for it. Because we're sitting here debating whether Donovan should be first team or second team. But in reality, if there were no positional designations, he probably wouldn't be first team. And it would be rightfully so. And the fucked up part about All-NBA is that it can impact contracts. And positional designations have prevented people who have had better seasons than some of the people above them from getting money they would have otherwise earned. So I'm an advocate of moving positional designations into the past simply because one we shouldn't even be tying money to subjective awards anyway but if we're going to do it we have to do everything we can to ensure that we recognize the best 15 guys how many times do we hear this is a positionless nba it's a phrase thrown around all the time you have lebron james 
playing center sometimes, playing point guard sometimes, being able to guard one to five. And yes, not everybody is as much of a hybrid as he is, but you can make that argument that several guys are. Several of the biggest stars could guard bigger, guard smaller, play multiple positions, slot in wherever it's most effective for their constructions. I don't think there should be positional designations simply because it's very rare that a guy is isolated to just one position anyway. It's fucking up the Jalen Brown situation because you have people who don't know what to vote him as, and that's going to prevent him from having his best opportunity. And I don't even like Jalen that much, so fuck him, but also he's getting fucked. But I've heard the argument that, oh, well, these don't even resemble a team. They're called all NBA teams. They were never teams. They don't take the court. They don't wear uniforms. There's no competition. They never suit up and play alongside one another. We don't have to worry about, oh, there's not a balance between guards and forwards. The only thing team does is serve as a understandable construct for people to see five guys lumped together and say, oh, there's five guys on a team. It's not an actual team. It's like the NFL Hall of Fame class. They're not in a school. They're not learning shit. Class is just what it's called. It's still just a group of guys worthy of an award. So we have all heard the bitching for years. It was, well, they had to put a center on and they weren't one of the best five guys. And now it's, well, we can't put two centers on and two of the centers are in the best five guys. And it happens in the all-star game too. But now all of a sudden, the same people who would advocate for shortening the schedule, cutting games out, making it so that fans get to enjoy less basketball for the benefit of the players and hopefully maybe them playing in more games, which I I understand some of that. But to make an argument that we can throw away tradition and completely obliterate record books for a better schedule for the players, but where we need to hold steadfast on tradition is holding on to an antiquated construct which fucks over players from being compensated to their maximum rightful ability and also doesn't even recognize the best 15 players. That I don't understand. That's a hill I wouldn't die on. And and people will say things like, well, that's what the MVP rankings on Basketball Reference are for, or some of these other sites who say, well, these are the guys who weren't it. Those aren't mainstream. Yeah, to, to basketball fanatics, sure. They find those things, they see them, they pay attention. But we're trying to talk to the masses, the stuff that they recognize. But until we separate monetary incentive from all NBA recognition, we need to do anything and everything to make sure that the best 15 players are the ones who get acknowledged. Now, here's a completely nonsense idea. If we're going to incentivize people for being on the all NBA team, we should be doing a bizarro version of that, like an all team cancer team, where we acknowledge the people who are the worst teammates and then their contracts are diminished accordingly. So if you make All-NBA, let's say you can go from making 25% of the cap to 30% of the cap or 35% of the cap. What if we did the reverse for guys like Draymond Green or Trey Young or Kyrie Irving and we say, okay, well, if you get voted for this honor by the media, then your contract is reduced. Maybe you would get less people like Draymond Green punching their teammates in the face. Maybe. Because money would be coming out of his pocket as opposed to making a documentary and cashing in on the pain and suffering of others. Just an idea. I never said they were all brilliant. So anyway, back to the game. I've said that two, three times now, but I mean it. 
this time. There's another man who needs to be recognized. Now, Jared Allen was huge in the fourth quarter. I alluded to that earlier. His return is pivotal. He's going to be a monster when we take on the New York Knicks because the Knicks have added elements which make them a much trickier matchup. With Josh Hart able to guard bigger, able to guard smaller, it gives them some interesting wrinkles in terms of being able to kind of stretch the floor out a little bit more and try to game plan against our two big lineup. Before, you were looking at Randall or Obi. And when Randall gets back in the mix, who knows? But right now, they are getting phenomenal play out of Quentin Grimes and Josh Hart. So, to have Allen back in the mix tonight and looking good, I was very pleased. He took a shot in the face, thankfully shook it off tonight. The other man, though, it's a 1A, 1B situation. It's a distant 1B because 43 points is pretty impressive. But Karis Levert, four first-half three-pointers that helped keep us in this game. It could have gotten way uglier in the first half. But Karis Levert, he banked in a three-pointer. He was five for six from outside the arc. And he hit some monster buckets, including the one I alluded to in the fourth quarter where it allowed the Cads to surge back, take the lead when they were down 109-108, and then they never relinquished it after that. So where rookie Rubio has been struggling mightily, one of the guys on the team, the worst plus minus on the team tonight, and started the game 0 for 5. He made just one three-pointer late in the game. He has not been playing well. And I've seen more and more noise on social media about, well, maybe Neto has to get his minutes. Now, I don't really think that'll likely happen, although I do love Neto's defense and tenacity, and every time he gets a chance to log minutes, I do feel like I love the way that he plays. I think what's more realistic is that Levert is just going to have to pick up more of the secondary facilitation duties because we got two games left. Is JB really going to make that drastic of a move? Or is he more likely to just lean for heavier minutes on the main guys in the rotation? Now, I was shocked when he yanked Love out of the rotation. If he did it with Rubio too, basically the two vets who were the feel-good guys last year all of a sudden would find themselves not even on the playable roster, that would be mind-blowing. But I would understand it. I just don't think JB's going to do it. So Karis LeVert, if he needs to step up and fill the void, he has proven that he's found a rhythm over the last 10 games 16 points, 4 assists, 3 boards, but the percentages are what are really incredible here. He's shooting a lot from outside, over 5.5 attempts from outside the arc at a blistering 53% from 3-point range and 56% from the field. He even knocked down a couple of mid-range looks. He passed up a sure-thing layup tonight that the announcers called out. But Karis LeVert, it may just be, okay, Ricky's fading, lean on Karis more. And hopefully... He continues this hot play into the playoffs because the Knicks bench between Hart, between what Grimes is providing, what Hartenstein's doing, they have gotten better, deeper even. And I said nothing about quickly there. So the Cavs will need some reliable performances off the bench and hopefully they'll come in the form of Levert and Osman. The sad part is that one of my fondest memories of Ricky Rubio from last year is what he did to the New York Knicks. That game was unbelievable. If we, if Ricky could just channel that Ricky when we get to the first round, I will be eternally grateful. Now, speaking of point guards that are struggling, Darius Garland is in a bit of his own slump. Not as drastic as Ricky, of course. I think Jarrett's return is going to help him in terms of he still penetrates, he still looks for guys. He had a double-double tonight. His 18th double-double of the season, 10 assists, led the way for the Cavs in that capacity. But his shot 
is just not falling. Over the last 10 games, he's shooting 30% from the three-point arc, and he's down to 42% from the field. So that's a distressing sign, to say the least. But as opposed to last season, where he did kind of hit a wall, this time it seems less relevant because Levert is a surging, and so is Donovan Mitchell. So I just hope that by the time we get to the first round, he turns it around, and that he really is fiending, as he put it, to just explode in the first round. Because Knicks fans have already begun the slander. Listen to this nonsense. Garland is soft. He ain't doing enough for me. He hit a couple shots, but he wasn't really doing it too much for me. He was passing the ball. Mm-hmm. That's that's passive aggressive to me. I need to see you go up in your numbers. You're not really putting up no numbers. Tell me that doesn't make you pray for him dropping a 50 spot in the garden. I know it does for me. So, Karis Levert, fantastic. We talked about Jared Allen. We talked about Donovan Mitchell. The other thing worth noting, again... We struggled in the first half to keep a backup center off the board. Goga Batadze had four offensive rebounds in the first half. And at moments, he was imposing his physical will. Now, it didn't end up mattering, but I don't know what it is with backup centers. It's like they circle the calendar for the Cavs, and then they just dominate the glass. The Cavaliers again out-rebounded tonight, despite Jared Allen being back in the lineup. And there was one moment in the fourth quarter where... The Magic got three offensive rebounds in the same possession. Mo Wagner, Franz Wagner, Cole Anthony, they all got offensive rebounds back to back to back. And the only reason that the Magic didn't score on that possession is for some reason, Goga decided that he was going to bomb away a three, which he bricked. And finally, we corralled that rebound. But for the Magic, I thought Markel Fultz was very good in the early part of the game. Paolo Banquero, he's going to be a phenomenal player. He knows how to get to the line. He knows how to score. He took advantage of the opportunities that were given. And at the end of the day, he finished with 20 and 10. Now, Wendell Carter Jr., what a nice game for him from outside the arc, knocked down four three-pointers, and two of which came in that little fourth-quarter spurt where it looked like they were going to seize back control and maybe win the game. But all in all, a balanced effort for the Magic as six guys scored in double figures for them. I thought really... The only guys who were noticeable weak points for them were Gary Harris, who was brutal. He was just one for six from the floor and got torched by Donovan Mitchell. Many, many plays. And then I didn't think Franz Wagner had his best game in terms of what we've come to expect from him. But it it wasn't bad on paper. It was 17 points and six boards. However, I didn't think he was as dominant as he's looked in the past. So next up, We see this Magic team again, but really, it's just about getting ready for the postseason at this point. And one other thing I wanted to point out, as I've been posting these podcasts, I've been throwing up poll questions on the Spotify, uh, whatever you want to call it, the control panel. They let me throw up poll questions. And I put one up on the last podcast, which was, what would be more meaningful to you as a Cavs fan? Donovan Mitchell with a first-team All-NBA nod, or Evan Mobley with a first-team All-Defense nod? And I thought. People would pick Mitchell. They did not, however. Fans are more eager to see Evan Mobley recognized for his dominance than they are Donovan Mitchell. And I think that says a lot because I didn't say defensive player of the year. I just said first team all NBA defense, which I think Evan should be a shoe in for. That to me seems like it should be a lot more certain than even the Donovan Mitchell debate. So anyway, that's enough for this podcast. I just got a text from my wife. She said she's going to throw me out like I tossed out the cats. If I don't shut my stupid mouth soon, it is currently 11:30 at night. I'm in the I'm two floors away from her. She's got 
supersonic hearing, cat hearing, if you will. Garbage cat hearing. Let's call this a wrap. Thank you to everybody who has listened and subscribed. I appreciate it. I'm Bob Schmidt, the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Thank you to everyone leaving reviews. Thank you to those of you who have shared the podcast, who have told your Cavalier friends. It is working. And I'm ready for the playoffs. I'm not ready for whatever this reincarnation of Quentin Grimes is over the last six games. The man is making five three-pointers a game and averaging 21 points a game in his last six games. I just wanted to jam that last factoid in because I've run out of time. More Fear the Fro Pod. Join me next time. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.